And good morning, everyone. Welcome. Good to see you all here this morning. Thank you, team. Upstairs, team downstairs, first service and second service, team at the door, team in the tech booth. Uh, we have just a great team here. And this comes together as a combined effort of, of many women, men, youth serving together. So thank you all. If you're my first time guest, a special welcome to you. And those of you watching online, we welcome you. Just a reminder. Church cannot be experienced in your living room alone. There's only you have to be that way. I get it. The seasons where we have to just go away. But you want to get the full experience of the body of Christ. You need to be present with God's peace. And I know sometimes in certain locations that's more difficult than others. But we are thankful we can do this. This is a gift from God. And what a privilege it is to just be together, sing together, hear God's word together. We are living in a chaotic and confusing world. If you watch TV, or sometimes it's a good idea not to, there's just so much weird stuff, political stuff. Then there's just the life stuff that's going on all around us. Corporate mergers, there's people that are busy on employment, people that aren't unemployed right now, there's others that are in financial distress up and down. Some, some of us are on grief journeys or we're in seasons of grief because we lost someone this time of year and we're kind of walking through what that feels like or we're in a deep valley and at, at a point in, in, in our lives at this in October and it's we're reminded of that and, and in the midst of all this we're wondering well how do we navigate it? How do I chart a, a journey and a path through this just mess that we find ourselves in and and the book of Ecclesiastes, this 3,000 year old book in the Bible, in the Old Testament, someone gives us some advice. And he says, There are many paths that you can take, but there is this path that trumps those other paths, and then he, he would call it the path of wisdom, of taking your life experiences and, 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 and just embedding them into the context of, 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 the, of a God centered worldview and finding meaning in life from God. And in the first six chapters of Ecclesiastes, he's clearly taking a picture of people trying to find meaning and navigating life without God. And what they all find is dead, vanity, meaningless, that it's futile. And in chapter 7, he changes gears and he moves into this focus on, okay, so, so now we figure out that nothing in life really works on your own. We need God. Well, how, how do we move forward with God? Well, part of that is walking in this idea of wisdom. In chapter 8, and Pastor Frank's going to preach on that next week, he'll talk more about wisdom. I'll let Pastor Frank give you that full definition of wisdom. I, I picked the hardest chapter of Ecclesiastes. I think Pastor Frank preach that one, and then I preach the rest. <laughs> but at the end of this, what we'll find is, and you need to just work through this, you might want to read this later, ruminate and think through it. You don't own a Bible, I'm just saying. We have Bibles in the back. If you're watching online and you're like, yeah, I don't have a Bible, if you email us, we'll drop one off in your mailbox. Everyone should have a Bible. So we have them available for you to read and follow along and you have your own ladies on your phone, whatever. But it's important. I want to go through a lot of material for you. You might want to come back to it and just read it. Wisdom literature is like that. You need to, to chew a bit and you know, put it out of the first stomach and then bring it back and chew it again, and then go to the second stomach and bring it back and kind of you know, like a like you know, like a blue wine, you know. You need to just keep chewing it, chewing it, chewing it, it takes a while to digest, but eventually it'll sit in and it'll be like, oh now I get it. And chapter seven. Chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, this is what we're going to encounter. There's a lot of stuff here. We can't give it all to you on a Sunday morning, but 
but you can begin to chew and give you hopefully an appetizer, and you're going to come back to this week and you're chew it and you read it and, and absorb it and, and really put it into work in your life, I hope, because in our confusing and chaotic journey, God wants to guide us through. And wisdom helps us. So as we come to God's word, I just invite you to pray with me. So we just seek his direction and his wisdom. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. The living word of God. Although ancient, it still speaks a practical and relevant message to us here today. And so each person at every point in their life today that are here and those watching online, Lord, you want to speak directly to them. There's a verse of this section here that's going to hit them straight on where they need to hear this morning. So we pray that your work and your Holy Spirit do his work in our lives as we look at your Holy Spirit. Remove this preacher and just put Christ in the center of this message. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to find out that there's three things that, that living wisely will produce in your life. One, we'll discover that living wisely is, is advantageous. It's profitable. Well, living wisely is also clarifying. It provides perspective to life. Living wisely is realistic. It shows us the limitations and just the reality of the life in which we live. But first of all, we encounter that living wisely is advantageous in chapter 7, the first few verses there. In that first six, seven verses, he'll, he'll talk about this idea of something is better than. It is better than this. It is better than that. It's the Hebrew word for good. He said, well, you know, you don't find the good right over here. Let me give you the wisdom helps us discover what is good. If you live wisely, you'll discover that there are advantages to living wisely. You see, what is going to take into consideration our mortality in verses 1 to 4? He says in chapter 7, verse 1, A good name is better than fine perfume. And the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, since that is the end of all mankind. And the living should take it to heart. Grief is better than laughter, but when a face is sad, a heart may be glad. The heart of wise is in the house of mourning, but a heart of fools is in the house of of pleasure. Now, on the day after Halloween, it seems pretty odd that this sweet little old book that suggests that death is more preferable than celebrating life. It doesn't make sense. It seems a bit more. But what he's trying to say is that the wise person understands the shortness of their life. And he says, you know, a good name or a good reputation is, is better than fine perfume. And of course, well, you notice that in the Hebrew, there's a little wordplay here, the words are the same shh sound, and so he's kind of using, using poetic uh, tools to, to kind of communicate his message, but the reality is, your writing leaves a lingering odor. And when you're born, it's, it's, you're born to, to opportunity and potential. As parents, we name our children with the hope that they will fulfill it and live up to their full potential in life, but it's not until you're dead that you really can figure out what you stood for and what legacy lingers on after you And going to funerals helps bring this into perspective. That your life is short and that, that something will be said about you when you die. And what that is, is how you live your life and who you've impacted and what was important to you. The wise person realizes that. I can remember doing a funeral. These are the worst for a three year I mean, the most unnatural thing is a tiny casket. It's just awful. It's horrible. There he was, and at the same time, I had a son at home, the exact same age. 
This little boy was born with health issues, never really thrived. He, he was loved and cared for by his parents and his grandpa, and then just nurtured, but, but eventually all the issues that he was born with caught up to him, and he, he died at a premature death at a very young age. And there I was, you know, doing this funeral with his family, a grieving family. The, the grandpa came to our church, and there, you know, just, and, and, and I, I came over coming home and just grabbing onto my three year old. Just hold her. See, death brings perspective to you're reminded that, that there is, you know, a shortness. And, and we have only one life to live, and we need to live it to the full in the moment. And he says, you, know, you, you can be in these parties, and you can always be having a good time, but you'll miss out on, on this serious contemplation of life. Now, in the first service, I went on a little soapbox. It's my own personal issue that I have. It's people that say, don't have a service for me when I the thing they're doing, their family. In Calgary, it was very popular to have no service. And, you know, it's the request of the deceased. You know, there's no. But, but you're leaving those people with unresolved grief and mourning. They have no closure, no, no end point, no, no place to move forward in, in, in discovering the newness of life without that person. They're left sort of in this fog, and, and, and people think they're doing the thing. Well, I don't want to remember like that. It's not really a movie like a funeral, actually. It's about your family. And the best thing you can do for your family is help them to celebrate your transition into eternity in the best way possible. So you that are a bit older, and even some of us that aren't yet that old, like, we need to be thinking about that. Preparing it so that it's our, our children, our grandchildren, our friends can come and, and celebrate our life and move forward in life without us when we're gone. We're not doing them any favors, people, when we do that. He talks about, you know, this reality of just walking through grief, through mourning, experiencing loss, and, and just finding healing and, and wholeness and a, and a new identity moving forward without that person in your life. That's, that's the journey of life. I mean, people, you know, in one year I walk with my daughter into, into the world, and then, you know, eight months later I'm burying my father. I'm like, this is the cycle of life. And the wise person realizes that we just are a blip on the radar. So make your life count. A wise living takes into consideration of mortality. Wise, wise people also take direction from wise people. See that in verses 5 and 6. It's better to listen to rebuke from a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. For like the crafting of burning bones under the pot, so too is the laughter of the fool. This too is futile. Let's be honest, we prefer to hear the, the good times and the, the positive messages. Not a lot of us like that correction language that we get. Certain generations struggle more with that. If you're in a certain demographic, you like to think that you got your hands on the wheel and you know what's going on. And when someone older than you tells you something, you're like, okay, you learn, right? You know what you're saying, right? You're giving hands and knowing. The wise person says, I can learn from someone else. Grandma and Grandpa maybe know something about life that I don't know. My boss, the journeyman I work on, professional that, that is, my mentor, whoever it is, my teacher. We can always learn, but especially you can learn from a wise person who comes along and gently and lovingly corrects us. Parents, you do your children a favor when you correct them and discipline them in a godly way. You do not give them a favor when you let them do whatever they want, anytime they want, however they want. You're not helping them. 
Those kids are looking for boundaries, and you're not giving it to them. But the wise person says, yeah, I see the boundary, I appreciate the boundary, I'm going for the boundary. Wise people also take one day at a time. You see that in verses 7 to, to 10 there. First of all, he talks about, you know, surely the practice of extortion turns a wise person into a fool. And a bride corrupts the mind. Right? The people that live with a shortcut, there's, there's, there's easy ways to life. He says, no, but the people that live with a shortcut are often proved to be a, a fool. He says, we're saying the end of a matter is better than its beginning. A patient spirit is better than a proud spirit. Don't let your spirit rush to be angry, for anger abides in the heart of the fools. Anger really is a response to patience, right? You're driving, and loyalness is a temptation to me every day that I drive in the city. Someone does something to you, and you're just like, what? You know, like a yellow flashing light is not small. It's slow down. And let the guy do red stop. You kind of drive through it, but anymore, they don't know that. They don't want to stop for the yellow flashing light. No, no. At least when I did my first test, the old question, he was cautioning me to move through the intersection. The right guy had to stop it. You know, and then anger can begin to, you know, get angry. Someone cuts you off. Someone doesn't work. Whatever it is. But this resides in the heart of the voice. See, I'm learning just to be patient. Take my time. I tell my daughter as I teach her to drive, assume that people are going to cut you off and do something rude and not give you the right away. Whatever. Just assume they're going to, you know, the world might drive that. They tell you that. Just assume they're going to hate you. They're always watching for them, right? You know, and here he is. Wise people take it one day at a time. He says in verse 10, Don't say, why are the former days better than these? Since it's not wise of you to ask this. Those are the good old days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of you think of that. And, oh, life was so good back then. And, you know, and this was what like it was. And, and, and the reality is, there are no good old days. I mean, we, we kind of idealize it. It weirdly says, the good will be a combination of a bad memory and a good imagination. <laughs> it's the good old days, right? Churches do it, families do it, communities do it. Oh, it was so much better back then. And, you know, every generation has issues. And people do bad things in every year of life from the beginning of history to today. And the wise person just says, one day at a time, you can celebrate the good days in the past, but we live for the better days in the future. You saw an anniversary, you saw the fact that you got married a certain number of years ago, but you also say, and now best days are yet to come. We're going, we're going to keep moving forward and growing together and discovering the blessings of this uh, birthday, celebration that you were born on a certain day, but you're saying the best days are still to come. When you have God, there's always better days ahead than the days we have. That's what the wise person discovers. We also discovered that wise people value wisdom as a commodity in their lives, verses 11 and 12. He says, wisdom is as good as an inheritance and an advantage to those who see the sun. Because wisdom is protection, a silver is protection. But the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of its owner. You know, sometimes people, especially in the ancient Near East, they would look forward to that day when they would receive their inheritance and they kind of plan for that, that future. But what the wise person realizes is there are things that I can gain now in life, wisdom that aren't dependent on someone else's death and someone else's future, I can have it now, and this will carry me further and provide security and stability in my life that, that silver won't. Wisdom. Wise people also respect God's providence in the world. You see that in verses 13 and 14. As he kind of concludes this section of wisdom and Proverbs, he says, consider the work of God. Stop and ponder. Think about what God is doing in the world. 
straighten all that he has made crooked. God allows something and something is going in a certain direction. Just understand that he, he still has a master plan and he will accomplish it. Regardless of what happens next week, in the country songs, God's plan will both options are great. <laughs> I mean, put it off. I mean, we can't put a whole political process. We have to put our hope in God. Consider the word. Sit in the day of prosperity, verse 14, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other, so that no one can discover anything that will come after him. Just, just understand that life has these, these, these mountaintops and mountain life has these valleys. <laughs> And either you're looking up or you're looking down, or you're, you're flying up a lot, and you're, you're kind of, this is what life is like. And we're, we're looking up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. But the one constant is the wise person understands that God is with me, whether I'm going up or down, whether I'm in the dark or in the brightest sunshine, God is with me in this journey. And He has <coughs> The wise person doesn't put it upon themselves to make life to, to successful. They trust God to lead them to the place that He wants them to. Living wisely is advantageous. It helps us discover life God wants us. But living wisely is also clarifying. See, wisdom brings perspective to life. See that in the next section, verses 15 to 21. Wisdom leads us to a healthy relationship with God. He says, in my futile life, that's, you know, his, his brief blip on the radar life. He's not being like, I, 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 I wait life. He just means, in this small period of time that I have on this earth in my futile life, I've seen everything. Someone righteous perishes in spite of his righteousness. Someone wicked lives alone in spite of his evil. You gotta understand, behind this is this idea in the Old Testament. That if you were blessed, you were rich, and you lived long, and you were healthy. If you were cursed, you were poor, you died early, and you were sick. They had this idea built on Deuteronomy 28, and the and you know, in the sections that we talk about the blessing and curses in the law. And so, so but the reality is, as Solomon looks at life, he's like, Look, I've seen it the opposite way. I see good people die of cancer. And I see evil, wicked people live long, hurt people in their lives, and still move into their 80s and 90s. It's like, this makes no sense to me. But living wisely does bring clarity and perspective to life. Because he says to this in verse 16. Don't be excessively righteous. Don't be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Don't be excessively wicked. Don't be foolish. Why should you die before your time? It's good that you grasp the one and do not let the other slip from your hand. For the one who fears God will end up with both of them. You can just move the extremes out of life and just trust God in the middle. You will find your way through. But some people think they have to do good for them, right? Like, do good, do good, do good with karma idea. Then good will come back to me, good will come back to me, good will come back to me. But the problem is, life doesn't always work with that formula. Some people do a lot of evil, a lot of bad, and profit from it. At the expense of others, and unjustly and unfairly. And you wonder what happens, but God sees all this. And the most important thing, he says, is just to keep your life in the context of you and God. And not worry about it. There's all this stuff going on around you. It seems unfair and not right. And, but don't get caught up in that. Just keep your focus straight and clear. And God will give you clarity as you go through it. It's like the old 
Yin Yang story of the farmer who had his horse ride. His neighbor came and said, Oh, that's bad! You lost your horse! And he said, Well, who else if it's good or bad? You know, and then the next day the horse comes back and he's got three mirrors running with him. He's like, Oh, that's good! You've got to have a bigger herd! It's not wonderful! He says, Who knows if it's good or bad? The next day his son is trying to break one of these mirrors and he falls off and breaks his leg. Oh, this is bad! show up to recruit all the young men in the village and his son doesn't get recruited because he's got a little leg. Oh, this is good! And the farmer says, who knows what this good is about? And the story is on and on and it's great. Who knows? Your circumstance right now might feel bad. Or less than ideal. Who knows what God has in mind with your life situation right now? He may desire to cultivate something really as hard and difficult as this season is, he may have some real blessing in mind, but he's carrying you through the storm to make you stronger, to make you more gilded, and, and prepared to handle that. He says in verse 19, Wisdom makes the wise person stronger than ten rulers of the city. Well, these guys that have the power and the ability to make decisions, but wisdom gives you that strength, that inner strength. He says in verse 20, there's certainly no one righteous on the earth who does good and never sins. He's like, look, look, wisdom brings clarity, and as you walk through life, you realize that there's no perfect person, and, and these do good that are trying to, you know, righteous, 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 righteous. He's like, you know, they don't get it, and, and the evil person doesn't get it. He's just like, who cares about God's will? Who live my life my way? He's like, down the middle, you find it's just me and God, and we find that we figure out the, the balance, and he brings me, gives me clarity, and helps me to understand. What he's doing, he uses this example in verse 21 and 22. He says, don't pay attention to everything people say. Or you may hear your servant cursing you. For in your heart you know that many times you yourself have cursed others. This is the good line to all of us, right? Sometimes you hear what you shouldn't hear, and you're like, wait a second, I understand this. If someone comes to you and says, yeah, aren't you concerned about so-and-so's issue there? The Bible makes it really clear that your response is to be like, look, if you've got an issue with so-and-so, you need to deal with that, with that person, not with it's called triangulation. It destroys families, destroys churches, destroys organizations, businesses. If people are not issues, we have to deal with each other with issues. Don't get involved in other people's issues. Don't advocate for other people's issues either, right? So we have all kinds of concerns about what's going on If they got issues, let them deal with it. That's not your problem. It's their problem. Your responsibility is to say, look, if you got an issue, you need to go back to so and so and deal with so and so. He's like, the reality is, we've all been. Spurgeon had a college in London in the 1800s, and he said to his students, you should have one blind eye and one deaf ear. We all say things and see things, and you have to find that grace. But God wants to do something. I found this interesting. This is Spurgeon. He wrote this book. It's a collection of his writings called Besides Still Waters, and he was a preacher in the 1800s, and he struggled with depression. He had some serious issues in his own life, mental illness, and, and, and you know, that was part of his journey. But he, he writes this book, there's several excerpts in here, but this one that kind of stood out to me, I wanted to read to you. He said, it's called a desert land. Dear believer, if you're in trouble, the voice of that trouble is designed to draw you nearer to God. God has favored you. 
favored you with an extraordinary means of growth in grace. He has brought you to a sandy desert, and I'll begin to seek the treasures that are hid in the sand. Believe that the deepest afflictions are always neighbors to the highest joys. The greatest possible privileges lie closest to the darkest trials. The more bitter your sorrow, the louder your song at the end. There is a reason, and that reason faith may discover and experience in the on. Our afflictions are the highway that lead us closer to God. Our troubles are our fiery chariot to bring us to God. Our afflictions, waiting upon waiting, will drive our souls nearer to heaven. It is a blessed thing when God's judgments bring us closer to Him. May God bless you, my tested friend. Living wisely brings clarity. But living wisely is also realistic. It kind of ends the chapter in verses 23 to the end. Talks about the elusiveness of wisdom. See, I've tested all this by wisdom. I resolved I was wise, but it was beyond me. What exists is beyond reach and very deep. Who can discover it? You want this shortcut to, to bring your life out? I found this interesting. In September 1st, 1999, the Vancouver Sun reported that Francis Rocher, a psychologist at the University of Wisconsin, had demonstrated empirically. And in 1993, that 10 minutes of listening to Mozart's sonata for two pianos in D major could boost a person's score on a portion of the standard IQ test. Seeing teachers and parents took advantage of the discovery, hoping that their children might attain a few extra points in their SAT score. That's a college entrance exam. An entrepreneur turned Mozart's preliminary findings into a seemingly authoritative self-talk book. While others released compact discs of Mozart's music that were extraordinary health claims, the governor of Georgia decreed that every one should listen leave the hospital with a state-purchased cassette or CD of the classical music. And Clamorons began offering stethoscope-like devices that apparently could introduce babies in the womb to Mozart. Anyone here done that? <laughs> it is the way of the modern world. The universe is seen only as a raw material for me to shape through technological control in pursuit of my educational, financial, and other goals. Wisdom is sought because it brings power. Then he says, I sought wisdom, but it was beyond me. I mean, I, I sat in it. I stood in the line waiting for my kindergarten girl to come out of school. And there's a mom next to me, and she had tracked her kid through this, you know, Montessori learning, and she had already like, almost filled out an application for Harvard and Yale. And it was only seven, but like, she, had, she, had, she was gonna, he was gonna be the most successful you know, person that, that she could imagine. Now, and his dad sold heavy machinery. Like, he wasn't even, he didn't have a university degree, but she, she had her son Peggy. She was going to do everything to, to put a wisdom into her son's life. And then I read this 3,000 year old book and it says, Don't waste time. I mean, if you want to do more so, it's fine, but understand. Wisdom is more than academics, it's discovering God in everyday life and making those decisions that please God in everyday and enjoying the life that God gives you. That's wisdom. That's where the PhDs and the MDs and all these researchers lose sight of what life is all about. Wisdom brings clarity and it also is realistic. He says in verse 24, I turn my thoughts to know, explore, examine wisdom. 
an explanation for things and to know the wickedness and stupidity and folly and madness. He says, when I find more wisdom than death, the woman who is a trap, her heart, a net, and her hands chains. The woman pleases God will escape her, but the sinner will be captured by her. Now he's getting a little bit out of the autobiographical here. Solomon had weakness. Weak women were his weakness. He thought that the more women he had, the happier he would be. He had sexual delights at any time of the day or night that he wanted, because he had thousands available to him. And if you think that that would be ideal, he's telling you it didn't quite cut it for me, people. I'm being blunt here, but this is the truth. And it helps you understand what he says at the end of this chapter. He says, the one who pleases God will escape her. He says in verse 27, look, says the teacher, I've discovered this by adding one thing to another to find out the explanation which my soul continues to search for, but does not find. I found one person in a thousand, but none of those was a woman. He, he sounds like a shoulder piggy, but what he's saying is, I thought I had it all, but I missed the whole thing. If I could illustrate it with this movie, it's the movie The King and I, it was put out in 1999. It's Jodie Foster and, and Child Young, in fact, they're in this movie together. This, the king of Siam has hired this, this British lady to teach his court the, the Western culture. Because they're in a progressive age, they can figure out what the Western world, how the Western world is. But, but he's got this hair, and she comes in at a, you know, Judea Christian world blue, and he's got this hair, and they're, you know, they're, you know, you know, they're clashing throughout, and finally she realizes she needs to move on, and she's going to go back to England. And, and, and they have they have this party, it's done in Western fashion. And the girls are all wearing Western dresses, and you know they're you know they're having this dance. And she's told him she's leaving. He says to her, King Monka, and wondering if, given circumstances, it is appropriate for King to ask Anna to dance. And Jodie Foster, it's Anna Dalenitz in this movie. She says, "I have danced for the King before, Your Majesty." The King responds and he says, "And I, an Englishman, until now, Madam." You know, it's in the dancing milk for you. Until now, I only announced, I did not understand the supposition. Man could be satisfied with only one moment. He realizes at that moment that there was something deeper. You see, God didn't create us to, to be, you know, the you know, half battle wise. He created us to have one soulmate to, to, to dance through life with. Through the eyes of the devil, that's what God says. It's not good for Adam to be alone. I'm giving him a helping, and they're going to journey through life together. This is the wise path that God lays out. But here, men came along and said, Oh, I really want wives. And, and this king in the group is like, you know, a man is going to be, and he takes power from any flowers. I know he uses but then he is dancing with his fingers when he realizes there is a deeper soul connection that I've lost. <laughs> and Solomon discovered this himself. In 1 Kings 11, it says, Solomon, his heart was torn away from the Lord to pursue the gods of all these foreign wives. And the end of his life is not the life of wisdom, it's the life of failure. The kingdom is torn apart because he was weak in this area. Living wisely is realistic. Sometimes we think, well, it would be better if I had a new person, a new wife, a new husband, a new relationship. You know, and, and I, you know, I just got to trade out or trade out, or, you know, and, and, and God says, no, you need to journey through. That's the that's wisdom. There's not a better person, a nicer person, a more you know, person that's going to meet my 
it's, it's you learn to grow and discover life together. He ends with this verse in verse 29. Only this, only see this, that I have discovered that God made people upright, but they pursue many schemes. And here it is. The idea is that God created us to reflect His glory. That there is a glorious aspect to, to humanity, and, and that glory is, is, is illustrated in the marriage relationship, and in, in healthy families, and in healthy church groups, and the gather together, worship together, grow together. Because the reality is that we pursue many schemes. The schemes that he's journeyed through in verses chapters 1 to 6. We look for wealth, we look for sex, we look for career, we look for education, we look for all these things, and they never satisfy. Romans says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This glorious standard we were created for, we all find ourselves missing the mark. And God sent Jesus Christ into this world to restore that which we lost and to enable us to discover wisdom in a relationship with Him and discover meaning and significance in life. But here we have three thousand years ago, it's like, you know, God created us like this, but we fall so short. And as you read through the Bible, we discover God sent Jesus into this mess, this chaos, this confusion that you and I are living right now. Jesus enters it, and Jesus identifies with every emotion and feeling and up and down that we have. Jesus experienced it all. He's able to identify with us, to be a, a perfect Savior, to lead us into this experience of wisdom, so that we have this advantageous, clarifying, and realistic view of life. But it comes from having a right relationship. There are many wisdom traditions out there that have a lot of good advice. But they fail to take into account verse 29 here. No matter how hard you try, if you don't fix the nature of, of a broken heart and a broken life, you never ever fix it, you never get it. But when God, we're forgiven and we're restored and we're given a new nature and a new opportunity and we're, we're transformed and we become like Christ and as we become like Christ, we reflect this glorious nature and things become new. That's what new life is all about. Moving up and out in new life in Jesus Christ. That movement is a movement of wisdom. If you ever discovered Jesus today, then I, I invite you to receive. He, he died on the cross, he rose again. There's a sinner about it. And he enabled us to step into this path of wisdom. Where we discover the advantages of it. We discover the, the clarity and the perspective that wisdom brings. And we discover the reality. It grounds us in life. Yeah, there's bad things. There's inconsistencies, there's a label of the life, but that doesn't throw us off because we see God in and through every season of our life. God brought you here this morning because He wanted you to hear something in this message. He's speaking to you. He speaks to us through His Word every day as we come to Him. He wants to meet you and to guide you through whatever confusion, chaos, difficulty, depression, you know, oppression, whatever it is. He's like, I'm here. Just let's walk together. It's the invitation of Jesus to follow us this morning. Follow me and learn from me. And you'll discover the better life, the good life, the best life with Jesus. Not all your problems will not go away, but they won't become a huge problems because we have Jesus there. You're like, hey, this is a problem, but I got Jesus, and that trumps that. And you see a brighter day ahead when you have Jesus with you always. And so let's discover that wisdom. 
as we continue this Let me pray with you as we close. Again, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I invite you to receive Him as your Savior. If you want to talk to a pastor, we're happy to discuss it. Sit down with the after service. If you want to do other business with God, but we'd love to pray with you. And now, Father, we ask for just that you would give us a clear vision of who you are and what you're doing in our lives. Sustain us through this season that we find ourselves in. Each family, each individual here has different challenges. Some are up, some are down. Some are heavy, some are light. But in all of them, you want to meet them. So today, just touch hearts, heal lives, bring perspective, show them the advantage, and it's the reality that, that you can ground them in this life and help them through it. Guide us, Lord. Teach us to be with us. May we find the richness of walking with you day by day. I pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you.